Welcome to the Hogan Lovell's 2021 Outlook, Developments in Shareholder Litigation podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Mullen. In this series, our lawyers will discuss the matters from Delaware courts and beyond in 2020 that were focused on key corporate governance issues, some familiar and some brand new. In this three-part podcast series, we'll analyze key trends to help you better understand their current and future implications. In this episode, we'll visit with Hogan Lovell's partner, Ann Kim, from our Los Angeles office. Ann draws upon her wealth of knowledge from her past experience working as a federal prosecutor and SEC Enforcement Division Senior Counsel. Also joining us is Counsel Scott Hyber from our Baltimore office. Scott has spent the past 20 years representing clients in their most complex litigation matters with a focus on corporate governance and products liability. We are recording this podcast from our homes in light of COVID-19 social distancing rules. In this episode, we're discussing federal forum provisions and the continued viability of these provisions in company charters. Let's turn to our guests for more on that. Anne and Scott, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm going to start out by asking my first question to Anne, but Scott may jump in as well. What are federal forum provisions and why do companies adopt them? So federal forum provisions or FFPs are provisions that require Securities Act claims to be made exclusively in federal court. They can be found in corporate charters or bylaws. And following the decision in Cyan in which the Supreme Court ruled that Securities Act claims filed in state court cannot be removed to federal court, companies began putting these provisions in their charters and bylaws so that they could defend these actions exclusively in federal court avoiding having to defend parallel actions in both state and federal court, where they could be subject to costly and inconsistent rulings. Corporations also prefer to defend these actions in federal court because many see state courts as having more lenient pleading standards and being more plaintiff-friendly. So it's advantageous for companies to include these provisions in their bylaws or their charters. And Scott, I understand there was a significant litigation in Delaware about these provisions. Can you describe what happened in that litigation? Yeah, the uh, litigation is called Salzburg versus Kiyabakuchi, an uh, easy name to say. Uh, it began in 2017 when a plaintiff brought an action in Delaware Court of Chancery against several companies that had adopted federal forum provisions in their charters. And the plaintiffs argued that the provisions were illegal on their face, basically because they were beyond the permissible scope of what a Delaware court and what Delaware law could regulate. And I think to the surprise of at least many, uh, the court of chancery agreed. Vice Chancellor Laster, in a, in a thorough uh, opinion that went back to first principles of corporate law, that it was permissible for Delaware, the state of incorporation, to allow corporate charters to regulate internal affairs, but not external. And a claim under the 33 Act, which is a federal cause of action with federal law setting the elements of the claim and the plaintiffs who are entitled to bring it, was clearly external in its face. So the vice chancellor ruled that the certificates of incorporation of these corporations could not bind the plaintiff to a particular forum when the claim did not involve rights or relationships established by Delaware law. The decision had a pretty immediate and, and significant impact. First, plaintiffs began filing suits, basically ignoring federal forum provisions and charters and bylaws. And many companies that had these provisions in their charters began receiving letters from plaintiffs' attorneys demanding that they be revoked. And this caused companies to have to issue press releases saying that 
if the provisions were ultimately found invalid under Delaware law by the Delaware Supreme Court, that they would not be enforced. Fortunately for companies like this, in the spring of 2020, the Delaware Supreme Court, in a unanimous decision, reversed. It rejected the strict dichotomy between internal and external claims that the Court of Chancery had relied upon and found that instead it was a continuum, basically, and that claims that related to securities offerings by companies were claims that clearly involved an important aspect of the management of a business and therefore fell on the internal side of the dichotomy. And the court also stressed practical sorts of things that Delaware courts often rely upon interpreting corporate law, the um, the efficiencies of confining these cases to federal law and avoiding parallel litigation, and general freedom of contract principles that Delaware courts often refer to, that corporate charters should be enabling and allow shareholders and incorporators to pick what they want. So with a uh, great sigh of relief in the world, um, the Delaware Supreme Court clarified that these provisions, at least as a facial matter, were, were valid. And, Anne, has there been any significant litigation outside Delaware on that topic? So there have been two California cases that address this issue. The first one was in September of 2020 in Wong v. Restoration Robotics, the California Superior Court in San Mateo County became the first court to dismiss Securities Act claims because the corporation had a federal form provision in its corporate charter. This court originally denied Restoration's bid to dismiss the action based on the Delaware Chancery decision Scott just discussed. But following the Delaware Supreme Court's reversal of that decision, the California Superior Court granted Restoration's motion for reconsideration. The court found that the federal form provisions are enforceable but did so by applying the standards California courts use to determine the validity of form selection clauses and form nonconvenience arguments. The court found that the plaintiffs did not meet their burden to show that the federal form provision was unenforceable, unconscionable, unjust, or unreasonable because the federal form provision was subject to shareholder approval and came into effect before the lawsuit was filed. The court also concluded that the federal form provision did not violate due process because all rights and remedies remain available to plaintiffs, and they are not meaningfully inconvenienced as they can file their lawsuit in federal court located in the state in which they would have otherwise sued. The complaint was ultimately dismissed against restoration and its officers and directors, but the court did not dismiss the action against restoration's underwriters and certain venture capital defendants finding that neither group had standing to invoke rights under the corporation's charter. About two and a half months later, in in-rate Uber Technologies and Securities litigation, a California Superior Court in San Francisco County became the second California state court to dismiss federal securities claims brought in state court because the defendant had a federal form provision in its corporate charter. The court found that the form selection clause did not violate the Securities Act bar on removal to federal court and did not violate Cyan because Cyan dealt with jurisdiction rather than the enforceability of a contractual form selection clause. The court also found that the form selection clause was not substantively unconscionable or otherwise unenforceable because Uber stockholders were on notice of the terms of Uber's charter when they purchased Uber stock and that enforcing the form selection clause was therefore within a reasonable buyer's expectations. The thing to note from this case was that unlike the first case I just discussed, 
This court dismissed the claims against all defendants, including the underwriter defendants involved in Uber's IPO, because Uber's forum selection clause was broadly drafted to cover any complaint arising under the Securities Act. And Scott, besides Delaware and California, how do you think this will play out in other states? Well, there are really two questions there. The first question is one that the Delaware Supreme Court itself anticipated in the Scabacucci case, and that's whether other states will respect Delaware's decisions and enforce federal forum provisions in the charters or bylaws of Delaware corporations, particularly the charters. And the court noted that some other states might view this as essentially a power grab by Delaware, where most corporations are incorporated, but nonetheless thought that the court should enforce them in sister states because they are reasonable. And the the rationale is that the certificate of incorporation is a contract, and all states recognize that, and ordinary contract provisions that apply to form selection clauses should apply. And under those principles, you enforce a form selection clause unless it would be unreasonable to do so. And it's the court's view, and I think it's probably the correct view, it's it's hard to see how these provisions could be called unreasonable. And there's also the fact that I think other states, when they look at these provisions, don't really have a competing state interest to consider. They're dealing exclusively with federal claims governed by federal law. So I think other states will probably be less inclined to take umbrage at following the Delaware courts. The second question is really what other states will do with their own corporate laws. That is, will they allow a domestically incorporated company to adopt a provision that would be permissible in Delaware? And I think the answer to that is probably also, first of all, most states have permissive corporate statutes similar to Delaware's that allow provisions and certificates of incorporation as long as they're not contrary to law and regulate the relations or the powers of stockholders and directors and the corporation itself. So since we're dealing with similar statutory language, you would think that other state courts construing those statutes will reach similar results. The other fact is just that courts in general in in other states often look to Delaware law and when construing their own statutes on corporate law questions. And I think the Skiabakuti Delaware Supreme Court decision will have a great impact there. And, you know, I I can say, frankly, other states have already been moving in this direction of following Delaware on forum selection clauses and bylaws. In Maryland, for example, we followed Delaware and adopted a provision allowing the bylaw provisions that require internal corporate claims, like derivative lawsuits, to be brought in state court or federal court here in Maryland. So since state courts and other jurisdictions are already following a Delaware model, it seems likely that that'll continue. And our final question goes to Anne, but Scott, I believe you're probably going to have an opinion as well. What are the key unresolved issues that remain with respect to federal forum provisions? So I think one unresolved issue will be what happens when the federal forum provision is in the corporate bylaws as opposed to the charter. Both California court decisions cited to the fact that the federal forum provisions were subject to shareholder approval because they were in the charter. It'll be interesting to see what happens when a board unilaterally amends its bylaws to include a federal forum provision and whether courts will be willing to uphold them when shareholders had no say in the matter. Scott, any thoughts? So another issue that was expressly left open by the court in Ski Bakuchi was whether it would be possible to successfully bring 
an as-applied challenge to a federal forum provision. Because in that litigation, the challenges to the provision only on its face mean that the plaintiffs argue that federal forum provisions are always invalid, regardless of the particular factual circumstances. And it's certainly possible there could be situations where a court may be tempted to reach a different result. You can imagine the situation, for example, where a company has an IPO and then adopts a federal forum provision later and then has a secondary offering for some purpose. And the purpose may be to benefit insiders and some as part of some alleged nefarious scheme. And you could see that in a case like that, the courts might not be as, as quick to defer to a federal forum provision. And Anna, are there other things you can think of that might raise might arise in the future? So one issue that came up from those two California court decisions is to the application of federal forum provisions to underwriters and others. I think we'll see courts look specifically at the language in the charter to determine whether it should be broadly construed to cover all Securities Act claims or whether courts will cabin its applicability to just the corporation and its officers and directors. And Scott, any final thoughts on any of the remaining unresolved issues? Yeah, the one other issue I can think of is the question of whether these will apply to charter amendments. And this, in some ways, harkens back to the as-applied facial distinction. But the Scia-Bakuchi case was a provision that was in the original certificate of incorporation at the time of the IPO. But there's nothing in the decision that logically prevents it from applying to a federal form provision adopted down the road. The statutory language is still the same. The idea that the shareholders know what they're buying into is still the same, at least in most cases. But you could see a situation where, again, a, you know, a company adopts a provision not as part of an IPO, but to, through an amendment down the road. And then the question that could arise as to whether it retroactively relates back to someone who tries to bring a claim related to the IPO. And I think those are the sorts of issues we'll just have to wait to see resolved over the course of time. All right. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there. Scott and Anne, thank you so much for your time today. It was a good conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks all. Appreciate it. For additional analysis on this topic, please download our latest publication, 2021 Securities, Shareholder, and M&A Litigation Outlook, available at HoganLevels.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series. I'm Steve Mullen. 